0: Well, you just had um, Ruth, just if you didn't know who that was, that was Ruth Good, who was reading from the scriptures a little while ago. Um, It's great to see her up here on our worship team, but what Ruth was reading was Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. And as we look at this passage today, we're in the book of Ephesians for our series, what we're going to see is that Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, 14, just flows with wonderfully deep theology and doctrine, and also rich expressions of worship. Now, I want to place emphasis on that word I just used when I said it flows, because that really is what takes place in this passage we're looking at today. In the original Greek, verses 3 to 14, all 12 verses, all 278 words were one sentence in the original Greek. If any of my English teachers ever got hold of Paul's original parchment that thing would have been marked up with all kinds of red ink as they were marking up all of those run-on sentences. In seminary, they had a sense of humor because in my Greek class, we studied Ephesians, and we had to, in Greek, diagram chapter 1 of Ephesians. Try diagramming a sentence that runs on for 12 verses and 278 words. But that's what we're looking at today. And I wanted to say that as Paul sat down, it almost seems... When Paul sat down to write this letter to the church in Ephesus, that he wrote sat down to provide theological clarity to the Ephesians, and as he started writing it, he became overwhelmed with all of the things that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and his pen just kept on flowing and flowing. Now, as we look at this today, I want to ask a question. Are we looking at doctrine or are we looking at doxology? Now, I had to throw in those two D words that helps with the, remember these things they say. But I want to just give a quick definition. When I say doxology, what I'm talking about, a doxology is a short praise to God, usually in the form of a hymn. And as we look at this passage today, I would say that we're looking at both wonderful doctrine and wonderfully beautiful doxology. Clearly, we see both of these in here. And I'll be covering today, not this whole passage, I'm going to be actually covering three through eight today, and next week, Pastor Tom is going to be picking up in verse nine, and I want to encourage you, that is today and next week as well, as we go through this passage, to look at it through that perspective, that this is wonderfully deep doctrine, things that when you look at this, you're going to be just hopefully amazed by the things that God has done for us in Jesus Christ but also that your heart is going to be moved by beautiful doxology that I hope drives you to the worship of God. Now, as we go on, what I'd like to do is start out in verse 3, because verse 3, it gives us a wonderful summary statement of what's to follow in the rest of the the passage. And I do need to remember that we've got the screen again today, so... Hopefully... I can get this to work. Bria, is there an on-off switch on this? Oh, there we go. Or maybe she did that for me. Bria, is it me or is it you? It's you. Okay, you're on today, Bria. You'll have to track with me. But um, what we're going to see is that verse 3 launches us into a summary statement. Let me read verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. See, as we look at that verse, what we see here, it says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What we're going to see as we move through from verse 3 to 8 today, and then again next week, is that we're going to see spiritual blessing after spiritual blessing just flowing through this passage. And what it tells us here is that all of these things have been given to us they've been abundantly given to us because for one reason alone we are in christ that two letter statement the two word statement in christ means so much because as we go through this passage what we're going to see is that phrase in christ is found six times in the 12 verses what we're looking at today and next week now when you look in the scriptures and you see a phrase that's used six times within the space of 12 verses, it's as if God has given you this neon flashing sign that says, pay attention, pay attention, because all of these blessings come to us not because of anything we have done, not because of who we are, not because we're good enough. They've all been given to us because we are in Christ. Christ. You see, when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, we are radically transformed, and now what we find ourselves is we are living in Christ, and because of that, this passage and your life is filled with the abundant grace of God. See, this passage, if we look at Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, is just going to be a great reminder to all of us of the amazing grace of God. Let's keep reading on into verse 4. And verse four says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Now, as we look at verse four, I want to draw your attention to an incredibly deep phrase again. Very short one. It says, he chose us. That little simple statement is launching us headfirst first. Into the doctrine of election. Now, as we think about this doctrine of election, I'll tell you there's a lot involved with this. Just as we have a presidential election coming up in a a month or so that is going to be filled with heated debates, it's going to be filled with factions, it's going to be filled with opinions, the doctrine of election has had much of the same within the Church of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years. I love what um, John Stott said about the doctrine of election. He says, It's not likely that we will discover a simple solution to the problem which has baffled the best of brains of Christendom for centuries. So, this morning, I'll tell you, we're not going to be um, unearthing any deep new revelations from God. For 2,000 years, the church has been grappling with this concept of the doctrine of election. And it raises, that doctrine raises, some difficult questions for us. We have to admit, why did God choose me? Why didn't God choose everybody? But wait, doesn't the Bible teach about the free will of man? See, these are questions that come to mind. Now, I did something in preaching that you never should do. Raise questions that you're not going to answer. Now, what I want to encourage you is, if you want to look deeper into this, let us know let me know and we can send you some resources that you can look into. But the reality is, in 30 minutes, there's no way that I can dig deeply into the doctrine of election. And we go a little further in the passage and we see the doctrine of adoption. And then we see the doctrine of redemption. And then Paul talks about the forgiveness of sins. So in 30 minutes, there's no way I'm gonna venture into all of these topics and go very deep. But what I would say, as I'm preaching this today, I decided to really preach this from the perspective of a pastor rather than a theologian. Because when you look at the doctrine of election, what you see is that the more you understand it, the more you grasp it, the more your appreciation for the grace of God, the love of God, starts to transform you on the inside and give you a greater sense of hope, a greater sense of meaning, a greater sense of peace, and a greater love for God. So I really want to look at this today through really a pastor's heart. See, I think more than almost any other um, doctrine in the Bible, the doctrine of election should give us those things. The same time when I was, um, back when I was at Dallas Seminary, I had Howard Hendricks for a professor. I know I've mentioned him before in the past, and um, I had a teaching class with Howard Hendricks, and one of the things he always used to say was that as a teacher of the Bible, one of our responsibilities is to put the cookies on the lower shelf. What he would literally say is if we, started, if we were up there in class and we'd have to teach in front of the whole class, if we started to get a little bit too heady and a little bit too deep, he would literally stop right in the middle of the teaching time and say, stop, goes, put the cookies on the lower shelf. Now picture teaching in front of a whole classroom of seminary students and trying to go back to where you were after having that happen. But my hope is that as we talk about the doctrine of election and some of these other doctrines today, that we can do just that and put the cookies on the lower shelf. As we look at verse 4, you'll see it on the screen. It says, he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Now, no matter what your perspective or view is on the doctrine of election, I think we can all agree that that was a really long time ago. And think about this. As I talk about preaching this from a pastor's heart, I want to encourage you to think this way. You see, before the foundation of the world, before any of this was ever created, God knew you and he loved you. You see, God also knew every sin that you would ever commit. See, you're sitting, I know there's people sitting here today that struggle with forgiveness. They'd be like, Pastor, you don't know the things I've committed in the past. You don't know the things I have done. How can God ever forgive me of those things? You see, in eternity past, God knew the sins that you were going to commit. He knew the thoughts that were going to be in your mind. And despite that, it says here that God knew you and he loved you. Shouldn't that be an amazing source of comfort? That because of the blood of Jesus Christ, The blood of Jesus Christ that has the power to forgive the deepest of sins, any sin that's ever been created, all of the sins that Jesus' people have ever committed throughout thousands of years, the blood of Jesus Christ has covered all of them. You see, as we think about this concept of election, God knew you and he loved you. Despite all of that, there's never been a time where God hasn't known you and God hasn't loved you. So that should bring peace to all of us. Now, as we go forward, one of the things that we're going to see as well, and it says God clearly shows us in verse 4, it said, God chose us. My next statement is going to show you where I personally, but also all of our pastors at Riverstone Church stand in the same place on the doctrine of election. And this next statement to you is going to show us, show you where we stand. Yes, you did decide to follow Jesus Christ. But you could not have made that decision without God first choosing you. See, you did decide, but you see, you couldn't have made that decision had God not chosen you first. This interplay between these two things of God choosing us and us choosing God have been framed over time in the concepts of the sovereignty of God and human responsibility, Now, when I say those terms, the sovereignty of God, it means that God is is in control of and has authority over all things. Human responsibility means that you have a responsibility to give your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to go to him alone for the forgiveness of your sins. So we have the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. Now, as we look at these things, the reality is that God chose us, but we also chose God. These are two truths that stand side by side. Both of them are entirely true. And I'll admit from a human perspective, they seem irreconcilable. If we think about the depth and what's involved, it's hard for us as humans to grasp our hands around it. Now, I want to encourage you to think of the sovereignty of God and human responsibility is friends. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon, great preacher from the 19th century in London, once said this about the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. He said, There's no need to reconcile friends. See, we kind of think that these things compete against each other. How could this be true and this be true? But you see, in God, thankfully, in his divinity, in his authority, in his sovereignty, god is able to take these two concepts and blend them together in a beautiful way to accomplish his plans of salvation and his ultimate plan for the universe and that's what we're looking at today in this concept of the doctrine of election and it's a difficult one for us to understand as sinful humans but it's one of the doctrines that we have to work through and the reason is the bible talks about it a lot now i could have turned to a lot of passages where this is brought up in scripture but I want to turn to one. I want to turn to Romans 11, verses 5 through 7. So, if we could turn to Romans 11, 5 through 7. Let's just read that. In the same way, then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Now, if you remember, a remnant is usually a group of people, if there was the whole. God, over history, has worked with choosing a remnant out of the larger group. It says here, over time, a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But But it is by grace. It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? When Israel is seeking, it has not obtained. What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained. But those who were chosen obtained it. And the rest were hardened. See, these are difficult concepts for us to grasp. He's here talking about, think about the nation of Israel in terms of in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, it says here the nation of Israel was chosen. Out of all of the nations, God chose the nation of Israel. Now, did he choose Israel because they deserved it? Did he choose Israel because they were greater than any of the other nations? Were they more holy tell you, if you've read the Old Testament, you know the answer to that is no. They were a sinful, rebellious people. But God chose them out of all of the nations. And now here we are on the other side of the cross in the New Testament era, under the new covenant, and God's people, the followers, believers in Jesus Christ, in a like way have been chosen by God. You see, he didn't choose us because we were holy. He didn't choose us because we deserved it. He didn't choose us because of our works. He chose us out of a gracious act of mercy. We're going to look at that in a moment, but it was basically unmerited grace that God just richly bestowed on us. If we go back to the Gospels, we see in John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus said to his own disciples, You did not choose me, but I chose you. You see, I might think of, well, think about the call of Peter and Jesus walking down along the beach and he says, Come follow me. Now, Peter, yes, he had to respond. But what we see in scripture was that Jesus chose him first. Peter could not have responded in faith if it wasn't first for Jesus choosing him and initiating that in the heart of Peter. Now the fact that God has chose any of us is sheer unmerited grace. See what all of us, every one of us here, what we deserve is judgment and death. Anybody who's ever been born, what they deserve is judgment and death. I think one of the hard, one of the reasons I think why it's hard for us in our human nature to understand the doctrine of election because I think we have a hard time coming to the grips with the fact that what we deserve is judgment and death. I think most of us think, well, God kind of owes us salvation. I can be a good person. I think I'm better than most. See, in our thinking, we think that really we are, we are owed more than the judgment of God. But you see, all of us have been born sinners, All of us have been born in a state of rebellion against God. Happened with Adam in the garden, Adam and Eve, and it's come to every generation since. And we live in rebellion against God until we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And God in his rich mercy, God as an act of grace, transforms our hearts, turns our heart of stone into hearts of flesh, That we can respond in faith to God's calling of us and be transformed and have our sins forgiven. Now, as we think about election, I want to say the purpose, like why did God elect us? I think first and foremost, to the praise of his very own glory. See, this was for God's glory that he chose this plan. But secondly, he chose us for our holiness and are conforming to the image of Jesus Christ see God never chose you because you are holy God chose you so that you could become holy it's an amazing thing to think about and the remainder of the passage as we read through it is going to talk about what this looks like as we are becoming holy so let's take a look go back to Ephesians 1 verse 5 and look at 5 and 6 It says, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. See, again, in the beloved is saying in Christ, in him. Again, we see that phrase here. But one thing I'd like to draw your attention to is, is when I just read. Verse 6 says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Now, remember I talked about repetition in the Bible? What we see is that this phrase, to the praise of his glory, is found here in verse 6. And what you're going to be looking at next week, it's found again in verse 12 and again in verse 14. So three times in the 12 verses of what we're looking at in this passage, it talks about it's to the praise of his glory. Now, all of us, are recipients. It talks about the spiritual blessings, remember verse 3, that God is pouring out on all of us, and the primary reason he's doing it is to the praise of his glory. That Greek word glory in, in the Bible is the Greek word doxa. And what it really means, the word doxa, it's translated glory, but it means the essence, the essence of his being so when we think about the glory of god what the glory of god is it's the essence of god's being so when we take all of the things that make god god and let's think about some of them we have god's holiness his justice his mercy his righteousness his love and i could go on and on when we package all of that together that defines who god is and when we see god well we can't look at him now but when we see god what we see is the essence and the glory of god perfect and holy now i want to ask us a question if god chose us for our holiness when people look at you what is the doxa the glory the essence that they see see who are you on the inside what is it that makes you you are you conform more to the image of this world? Or are you more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? See, what God did is God chose you so that over time, you will be transformed more and more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And when people then look upon you, no longer do they see you, who you were at birth, who you were before Christ. But what they see is the reflection of Jesus Christ in you. And I will say this, I know that what's in my heart, and I've got a long way to go. And I know most of you, and I know most of you would say, amen, Pastor Bob, I've got a long way to go. So now we know we have a task ahead of us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Now, Verse 5 brought out another doctrine here, which we have to cover quickly. It says, he predestined us to adoption as sons. Picture that. God predestined you through Jesus Christ. What an incredible concept. Not only did God elect you, not only did God save you, but it says he adopted you as his sons or daughters, which is very applicable as well for each of us. He's adopted us into his family. I want to put up, if you put up the, um, the print, the, the, the picture on the screen, I, I have this print hanging in my office downstairs. This is Rembrandt's, um, I will say mine's, mine's the print, not the original. Um, <laughs> I, I wish it were the original, but um, what we see here, this is Rembrandt's um, picture of the prodigal son, and what we see is we see the father reaching down, and he's laying his hands on the son. And look at the son, his clothes are tattered and they're torn and they're filthy. He's missing a shoe. And, and if you remember the story, the son, he rebelled against the father. He wanted his inheritance then and now. He broke all customs. He disgraced the father by taking his inheritance early. And what did he do? He, just, he ran off and squandered it in, in just in sinful living, seeking pleasure, all kinds of sinfulness. And he, he burned through the money. And he was totally penniless. He he longed for the food that the pigs were eating, it said. And finally he says, you know, maybe, just maybe, if I go back home, my dad will, will bring me in as one of the servants. So here he is, and he goes back to the home, and the father he sees the son coming. And and what does the father do? He broke custom again. He ran to his son and he embraced him. Fathers were not supposed to do those things back then. And see, he embraced them. There was no judgment. There was no criticism. It was grace that was flowing out of the Father. It was Jesus Christ has done the same for you. He knows your sinfulness. He knows everything you have done. We are really as filthy and sinful and dirty as that son in that picture. But what did Jesus do? What did God the Father do? He embraced us. He forgave us. And not only did he forgive us, he adopted us as his sons and daughters he restored our position in his very own family see that's an amazing picture when you think about it see i think we seldom think what we've been given through adoption adoption in the in the um, in the old testament in that day and age it ha- it, t- it was a really tied to the family and a vocation if your dad was a carpenter you were a carpenter if your dad was a farmer you're you were a farmer So here we are as followers of Jesus Christ, who's perfectly holy. What does he want us to be? Perfectly holy, to be like our Father. See, that's what God has called us to to be and to do. Now, the spiritual blessings keep flowing as we finish out verses 7 and 8. Beginning in verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Well, we just saw that we've been adopted as God's children, and here we see that we have been redeemed through his blood, and our trespasses or our sins have been completely forgiven. You see, to be redeemed, you first have to be enslaved. And all of us were slaves to sin. And what we see here, the next spiritual blessing, is it says that we have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been given so much more than what I would just say simple forgiveness. See, we can think about forgiveness. How would you like to be in a religion like this? That when you sin, you have to go to God to be forgiven, and God says, okay, I forgive you of that sin. Ten seconds later, what happens? We sin again, and we need more forgiveness. And on and on and on. And you know how many times we would just keep on sinning and need the forgiveness of God. So we get forgiveness, but we also get redemption. You know what redemption means? It means that Jesus Christ, by his blood, has paid the penalty of all of your sins, past, present, and future. See, if I know myself, man, that forgiveness would last about 10 seconds until I'm off to the next one. I don't have to worry about it. We never have to have a fear that we're going to lose eternity in heaven. Because you know what? None of us deserve it. But Jesus has redeemed you. He's paid the price so that you never have to worry about where you stand in the eyes of your heavenly father. See, that's what redemption is all about. Think about slavery. Let's go back to 1850s, the deep south in the United States of America. If you were a a black slave at that time, an African slave, what would it have meant to you if somebody came up unconditionally gave you your, your, your freedom? See, that's what God did. He set us free from our slavery to sin. I don't think we cherish it nearly enough. That slave in 1850, his life would have been radically transformed. Your life has already been radically transformed. And we take it for granted. Like to um, think about this as we as we as we wrap up here today, um, is that I would like you to walk away today. Like, what's your takeaway? I would want you to leave this morning with more than anything else the wonderful realization of, wow, I've never fully understand, understood how much God has given me in salvation. Remember that phrase in Him, because of Jesus Christ. You have spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing that belong to you. Last week, um, Pastor Tom referred to, um, uh, why am I forgetting? Scrooge McDuck. Now, if you don't know Scrooge McDuck, when my my kids were little, my sons, that was a long time ago, 20-some years ago. When they were little, we had a storybook of Scrooge McDuck. And I can remember in one of the pictures, Scrooge McDuck was lying on this huge mound. It would have like practically filled this room with gold coins. And Scrooge McDuck was lying on top of it, just letting the gold coins run through his fingers. You see, I think in a lot of ways, we as believers in Jesus Christ don't fully understand the riches that we've been given in Christ. We tend to value the things of this world more than the things of God, more than the blessings that God has given us. Folks, if we could fill this room with gold coins, I hope you would never consider trading even one spiritual blessing that God has given you for that room full of coins. I hope you could picture yourself lying on the mound of spiritual blessings that God has given you. God has elected you. He's chosen you. He's loved you from eternity past. God has adopted you as his son or daughter. God has redeemed you at the price of his very own blood. And we're going to see more next week. Picture yourself. You are lying on top of those spiritual blessings that belong to you that can never be taken away folks this passage is filled with wonderful deep doctrine and it's filled with the richest doxology the praise that should drive us to worship God when we know who he is and what he's given us in Christ let's pray father we thank you so much for the rich blessings that you've given us in Christ father help us never take these for granted Father, I pray that these would transform our thinking, Lord. Help us to no longer just chase after the things of this world. Lord, the things that are temporal, things that are going to burn. Father, I pray that you would help us to embrace the blessings of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to seek after our holiness, not out of obligation, not out of seeking your favor, but just, Lord, out of hearts that are just so grateful for what you've done for us, what you've given us, and Father, help us to respond with hearts of worship. Amen.